0: Lima Delta Echo Lima Delta Echo This is In Between Stations Radio broadcasting from Flagstaff, Arizona, USA Good evening and welcome to In Between Stations Radio in the middle of the night Still a lot of crazy stuff going on with our sun up there. Um, As we enter this, you know, the latter part of this 11-year cycle for uh, sunspots. We've had a lot of interesting things going on up there. Uh, One of the problems, of course, that's being talked about is could we have an X solar flare. This is the strongest kind. This is the kind like they had in the uh, Carrington event. (laughs) Excuse me i'm not going to sleep i'm just kind of like trying to drink some coffee here don't drink coffee in the middle (laughs) because then you can't go to sleep um yeah and, and i think coffee has a five hour. it takes five hours to peak the caffeine caffeine can be good for you if you have too much of it like anything else it can make you sick my thing is moderation with coffee. Um, I have went from the extreme where I used to have five to six cups a day to keep myself awake when I was working at the hospital and working in the emergency room and stuff like that. <laughs> Let me tell you, if you knew how many people go to sleep, like doctors and nurses and people working in the hospital, especially in the graveyard shift, you'd be scared. <laughs> These guys don't get any sleep, and coffee helps you get by and I even without coffee um, the family I come from my mother um, we're all sleepers we all doze off in the middle of the day you know down in South America and Central America and Mexico you take siestas not just because of the heat just because it makes you more alert and uh, I can testify to that if you can get a little nap sometimes five minutes ten minutes even a half hour you're a lot more alert on your job and uh, we're perpetually um, exhausted people because we, we work at nights. We stay up to these 18, 19... I have lots of friends that work 18, 19 hour days. Nights. <laughs> so um, caffeine can be good. I mean, tribes down there, there's, uh, there's some drinks they have down there with... Uh, I'm trying to think of the name of the drink down in the Amazon basin. Um, Yoko. Yeah, it's. I think it's illegal here. Yoko has 25 times the power of caffeine that our coffee has. It's just, and tribes have been using it for a long, long time. It's, again, one of these uh, super food drinks that um, these incredible horticulturists that live in the Amazon Basin developed. For hard work and for hunting and for having to stay up in these night ceremonies, they developed Yoko. And Yoko is this amazing, powerful... <laughs> <laughs> Drink. I had I had something comparable when I was in the Middle East during the war. I don't know what it was because didn't know much about plants then. But uh, a couple of guards at the airport that we were we had our hospital there at the airport that would bring the wounded in uh, for a time when I was there. And a couple of guards because I had to you know we had to guard the perimeter of the hospital during the war. Um, and a couple of the local uh, people there. Brought this drink. One of them was a tribal person. Um, brought this drink and let, and let me drink. He said, "Here, have a have a have a taste of this." And, you know, this is during the war. <laughs> you're not supposed to sleep when you're on guard duty because, especially during the war, you can actually get court-martialed for that. So you don't go to sleep, although everybody does. <laughs> you know, you got your M16 there. You're in your foxhole and um, you have it loaded and stuff. And, uh, Going to sleep's not the best thing, but you do doze off. And anyway, my friend, uh, was, we became real close. He was this uh, Bedouin that worked uh, at the airport as a, you know, as a guard during the war. And um, he brought me this drink. He said, "You know," um, he said, "You know, try this." <laughs> I tried. It. I didn't go to sleep for two and a half days, almost three days, actually. There was some uh, a plant mixtures of plants in there. I mean, that part was clear, but I didn't know anything about plants, not too much back in those days. Uh, and uh, it was a special mixture. He said that they'd been, that drink was a thousand years old. So, it, and uh, wow, you didn't need a cup of coffee to stay awake. And then during a war, that's a big problem, going to sleep, because you're so exhausted, especially if you've got a lot of things going on, like missiles coming in and bombs being dropped. <laughs> Wounded coming in. Um, yeah, it's, it's a real stressful situation. And he was an interesting guy. Anyway, um, right, coffee. I, so, But taking things to the extreme in anything, you know, uh, TV, <laughs> too much kissing, too many donuts. Um, you know, we have all these addictions that we take into the extreme. And um, I think that's the problem. And I think if you can find a balance in there, and also, you know, your body body chemistry, your genetics, um, and how that figures into it, too. So, um, yeah, coffee. So there's this little molecule called adenosine. You have these adenosine receptors that make you really tired. It makes you go to sleep. When you drink coffee, it blocks that. And, um, but... There's research now that points to the fact if you drink too much coffee, and your body's smart about this, it produces more of this stuff. The adenosine is, there's more produced. And so, and, and I have friends like this, and I, I drank so much coffee at one time that I would drink it and go to sleep. So your body overcompensates and produces this adenosine uh, and, uh, you get tired. And so you have to drink more and more and you build up tolerance. Now, it's, there's schools of thought saying that's not true and they're saying it is. Uh, but I can tell you <laughs> that coffee, especially these espresso things, the more you drink, and if you drink it all the time over months and months and sometimes years, you have friends, you, it, it's, it's not good. Uh, and it can really cause huge problems uh and um eventually not even work uh, caffeine won't work so um and over time if you if you're a heavy coffee drinker and i have been a couple times in my life like i said in the hospital your body your body has to get sleep you have this sleep bank and you have to have deep dream sleep rem sleep because you have at least two stages of rem sleep you can get the repetitious and uh, you know get it out dreams the nonsense dreams, the real surreal ones, and then you get these real deep narrative dreams. And you've got to have that deep REM sleep. It's one of the problems when you smoke pot and things like this. It really affects your, uh, your REM sleep. Uh, and uh, it, it can be real real substantial if you're a heavy pot user over a long term. And, and and I know when you get off pot, I've had friends tell me this, and and I have a friend that would go off. You know, actually, Joe Rogan talked about this. This is a real interesting episode. He had a sleep expert on it because Joe Rogan is a known pot smoker, and he has uh, a week or something during the year where he doesn't smoke any pot, and he dreams intensely during this time period, and I've had friends tell me this because your body's trying to make up for the lack of REM sleep. And there's a lot of uh, powerful evidence that there's uh, a problem when, uh, with long-term pot smoking. I'm not going against pot here. I'm just saying it does affect your... I, I don't drink... I, I'm drinking. I don't smoke pot because I'm allergic to it. <laughs> I have real uh, powerful reactions to pot. Uh, it makes me sick and uh, affect my sleep. And make me deeply paranoid, so it doesn't work for me. It works well. I have uh, a friend I'm really close to. She's just a beautiful human being, uh, and she has um, some problems with seizures and things. And they found out the only thing that stops it is uh, the, is it the THC that's in pot. Pot is crucial to her. It's actually a medication that saved her life. And I'm not saying I, I'm not a doctor. I'm not suggesting you go out and do this, but she's just just this beautiful person, and it's. You know, I talked to her extensively, um, and she talked about how, why she's going to school, she's an, in astronomy. She's a mathematics major and astronomy major, and she has to stay up a lot of times. And so um, her sleep is affected, and she has these kind of seizures, uh, and... Uh, hallucinations, actually, too, that go along with that. You know, if you don't sleep a lot, <laughs> and I've had jobs where you don't do that, yeah, like in the hospital, uh, and, or where you drive a truck, you know, 12 hours, 18-hour shifts on a dike out in the middle of the lake, uh, the Great Salt Lake for me, um, you can have problems. You'll hear me calling you. I took a break there. <laughs> we played a little song for a little while just because um, we had a few uh, technical difficulties with, the, uh, with our transmission uh, on, the, on the shortwave. Um, yeah, we were talking about uh, my, my, my dear friend that, uh, that smokes pot and helps her uh, medically. And so uh, it's, a, it's a miracle thing for her. Uh, they couldn't find any pharmaceutical to substitute. You know, that's another problem. You can get addicted to pharmaceuticals, and, and I've had experiences with that, uh, and it, it can become a problem. We talk about oh, you know, so and so is addicted to cigarettes, so and so is addicted, you know, to this drug and stuff, and yet there's you know, people on pharmaceuticals and stuff that have you know that have the have similar add- addictions, addictions to uh, chocolate, you know, addictions to um, sex, addictions to cocaine, addictions to TV. Um, you know, it's just, that's this balance thing we talk about, is how, can you find balance in your life for these things? And I think when you make a straight, hardcore law, uh, and that, you know, that's, uh, coca is a similar example. We, we attacked the coca plant, and we used to like go into South America, our CIA, and try to destroy coca, and get and get the governments so like in Colombia to try to destroy coca. And, and meanwhile, you know, it's the population of the United States that's buying the cocaine, not the coca. Coca is amazing. I've tried both cocaine and coca, substantially both and there's no comparison. Cocaine is not good for you. Cotain, cocaine is highly addicting. Coca is not. Coca is very good for you. It's just chucked full of vitamins and nutrients. This is again a plant developed by these amazing tribes in the Amazon. They've developed hundreds of these kinds of foods and plants that help you. And Coca is one of these miracle things. It's amazing stuff. It makes you feel good. Uh, you can run at a higher altitude. You work harder. It just—it gives you this general, beautiful feeling about life that comes with with uh, with the plant. There's no addictions to it. Um, but cocaine is this refined thing that Americans are famous for. You know, going in and getting that little—that th- you know—it's like it's extracting. It's like not having coffee. Just inject yourself with caffeine, so you don't have the pleasantries of drinking the hot liquid. Uh, putting cream in there and trying different kinds let's just eject the caffeine out there make it a thousand times stronger and then you know uh, just put that syringe in your arm and and inject yourself right in your right in your vein you know and get that you know that's kinda what you're doing with coca you're taking the cocaine the alkaloid out you're isolating it and you're making it a thousand times stronger uh, and then you're you make this thing called cocaine and every and it's it's highly addicting, and you get a real amazing high with cocaine. You feel good about things. You're really sexed up, you know. you just you can do anything, but there's this rebound after you take it where you need you know it just lets you down. It has this horrible letdown, and then you have an addiction. And I have a friend that's very dear to me. I, I love I love her, and she had an extreme co- cocaine addiction, and it was hard for her to get past that. And bless her heart, she's able to do that. And so, um, Coke is not like that. We just, we have this thing in the United States, especially, where we like to isolate things. Excuse me. I'm going to drink a coffee. Actually, I'm not drinking a lot of coffee. I'm kind of sipping the the cup here. And I actually am down to, to one cup a day, two at the most. And, um, I don't like that feeling of being so like i gotta stay awake there's so much caffeine in my body like i said your body makes up for that it will produce a hormone that makes you tired so when you drink coffee you go to sleep (laughs) i drank coffee so much in the army and at the hospital that if i was really tired and couldn't go to sleep coffee coffee ended up doing the reverse it just would put me to sleep so uh, it, it defeats the purpose we build up these tolerances to things. Anyway, okay, this could go on. This discussion could go on and on and on. Finding balance. Looking at your genetics, what you're allergic to, what doesn't work well with you. Um, looking at the kind of natural plants and the kind of food that you can eat that's healthy for you in the long term. Those are all really important things to to weigh in. And uh, you know, I, I was looking at a whole life of being on pharmaceuticals, of being institutionalized. Even at one point, come home from the war, had a lot of problems. Um, um, you know, I had a marriage that kind of fell apart, and you know, a supposed family history of mental illness, which is you know pretty much bullshit because I researched that all out. It was all about allergies. It was about extreme sensitivities to things and having adverse reactions to those and I found this out firsthand with pharmaceuticals that I was highly allergic to some of the pharmaceuticals I was taking and if I would have taken them in the long term they would have caused serious damage not only physically but mentally so um, I had to learn these things the hard way I had to get off these medications you know you can I was on 50 (laughs) some insane thing like that but I realized at one point I had to take control of my life. And I, had to, I only had to figure out my genetics and what, you know, what my family's, what, what they were allergic to, what didn't work for them. And then I had to look at my environmental issues, You know, what, what was affecting me that way. And then look at my body health. And I started running and working out again. And um, I changed my whole life. And I'm a, a lot healthier. Most of the time, my life goes pretty well. It's up to you. Um, but, you know, we have a real habit of making things very addicting so we can make a lot of money. You know, you can go to um, the Circle K, and, you know, I used to think it's funny because there was two things, in this, at least the Circle K here, which is like the 7-Eleven, the inconvenience <laughs> store. Because <laughs> you go there because you have to, you know, a bag of rice that should be, um, you know, Two two fifty at the regular store, they'll charge you seven bucks for, or even ten dollars, just because you need it. But the only thing that was in that store that was good for you was bananas and apples. So I used to get, I used to get a banana and a couple of apples when I come home from work, and they're just. No one is going to work early in the morning at six o'clock, there would be this long line of people with, with coffee and donuts and candy bars, and Coke, uh, you know. You're going to drink 64 ounces of Coke? That's the first thing you drink in the morning? Wow. I mean, you know, the sugar content alone is scary stuff. That's just, it's absolute poison, at least to me and to a lot of people I know. That's a a clear shot to diabetes and a clear shot down the road of having a lot of serious problems. So, uh, yeah, that was a big joke. Uh, Bananas and apples were the only thing in the store that was that was good for you you know you have these these deserts for nutrition and poor people go to these stores a lot and they get this really crappy stuff you know and they give it to their kids and, they, and you know they, they, it's famous and and these stores are planted in these places where there's a lot of poverty because they know people will come there and buy that stuff because it's cheap you know it has corn syrup it has it's has all these things that make it Not only addicting, you know, it activates your your serotonin and dopamine levels, and um, and so you you crave it, you get addicted to it, and even though it's really bad for you, and these corporations know this, they make this food that has zero nutrition in it, and you still you know you still eat it, or you're allergic to it, and you still eat it because you're so addicted to it. Okay, that's enough of this. (laughs) This could be like a 25-hour show, seven days a week, on getting yourself healthy getting yourself off really bad food, working out, getting your cardiovascular working, and getting your life so you're not always sitting and driving a car and watching TV and a beer or sitting and looking at a computer screen all day. There's so many things you can do with your life that can make things a little bit better. (laughs) And because I have a genetic tendency towards depression that runs on one side of my family, I know I have to take care of myself. So I know a bottle of alcohol, even a bottle of beer is going to have a tremendous effect on me. Now, because alcoholism runs on one side of my family, but the sugars in it alone attack my body. And so every once in a while I have a treat of a beer or something like that, but not too much. Because I know, like if I drink a six pack or, and I love Irish whiskey, if I had a glass of Irish whiskey, I know it's going to happen the next day. In fact, just an hour or so later, so it's not—it's not worth it. Anyway, okay, let's let's move on here. <laughs> Do we recognize now that machines make people irrelevant? <laughs> <laughs> Look, Mum's even shouting at you. Oh, She's us. Stay she space Stay spaced. Stay spaced. <laughs> So the alarm goes off and you wake up. You're really tired. Seems like you didn't sleep that well and you got to be to work. You got to correct some papers at the university. Um, you're a professor and um, you kind of waited too long and you got this big stack of freshman papers. You got to you know, you got to correct, and you're a little irritated, but you still got to do it because you have you have your Ph.D. students, you have your master's students, and you got these freshmen, you know, in the, in the lower classes that you got to correct their papers, and it's a big stack because you had a lot of a lot of kids this year. You look over, and there's your your wife. You know, she's sound asleep, as beautiful as ever, and uh, you know, as usual, nothing wakes her up. But you give her a kiss. Um, she stirs a little bit, and you get out of bed you go in and take a shower you know, get your stuff together Uh, start up your car you know, drive down the neighborhood the residential street past the trees past the really nice houses there's a few that aren't too nice you know, you're not really paying attention that's why you do this five days a week and if you're in big trouble you do it sometimes six days a week you know, as far as your workload goes so you go, you know, you get on, you get on the main, main uh, street, uh, and and you drive down there. You know, it's not quite light yet. Uh, you go past the big factory. It's and you're somewhere in the Midwest. Um, and you go past the big factory, and then you slow down, and go over the railroad tracks. You know, you've done this thousands of times. And you know, if you go too fast. But you're going to bottom out on the railroad tracks. There's not much traffic. A couple cars pass by. Everybody passes by. He's sleepy, too. And you know he got classes at um, 9.15. So you got to get these papers done because this is a midterm. And so, you know, you you drive up there. uh, And then you you see the buildings at the university. A lot of them were built back in the 19th century. It's a beautiful old college, university and uh, you pull up in your parking place, you know, park your car, open the door you get your get your bag out, you know, your suitcase with all your stuff in it and um, get your lunch and uh, you know, you walk across the grass, the sprinklers are going you know, and go in there's the, there's the guard, you know because it's not quite public time for the university and you tell him hello and he says hey how's it going you talked to him for a little while you know and he lets you in the building and then you go up in the elevator up to your and you know so the elevator didn't used to be there you just got one because you used to have to go up the stairs so you go up the elevator to the fifth floor you get in your office you know you open it up you open up the door go in your office it's full of all these books because you know there's been other professors before you and you have your special books that you have you know you're all these books and on Egyptology and you know you just have you all it's just amazing and you know it's not a big deal because you know about it but anybody else will walk through and go wow where'd you get all these old books and then over the years you've collected them you know and you need them for classes and and, uh, and you need to get sit down your old your old wooden desk with the soft chair you know and you got these big stacks of paper and then you sit back and um you get ready to correct all these student papers. And uh, and then you think, you know, oh, God, I forgot to take my uh, my medication, you know. And you have this medication you take because you get migraines sometimes. So, you know, if you don't take your medication, you get a migraine. And, and so you go and you remember you put it in there in your, in your lunch your box, you know, zips, zips open and close. And you get in there and you unzip it and then you look through your stuff you're like oh no I f- God I forgot my I forgot my medication I better c- call my wife because I got to have this stuff so you know you, you have an, an analog phone There's, this this is you know you don't have a cell phone you got the analog phone you dial it call up and say hey uh, good morning she's like yeah you know she's kind of tired you can tell and you know you're like hey April um, forgot my medication I'm wondering if you could Bring it up to me, you know, sometime today, so I can take it, so I don't get this migraine. say, like, yeah, sure, I'll bring it up. You know, let me have breakfast, and I'll come up there. And then, you know, and you tell her you love her, and you hang up the phone, and you set it down receiver, and right when you do that, you wake up. <laughs> you know, you're in your bed, and you wake up into this room in this place and it takes you a while to kind of like get it that you're you're not you just had a dream (laughs) that that isn't in parenthesis real the thing about and so and then you realize you know it's in the middle of the night and and hey you're in Flagstaff, Arizona, you're not in the Midwest somewhere, you're not a college professor, you don't have a wife named April, that was a dream here's the thing, what I just told you is actually very real I mean I've had this dream in this particular place uh, this guy that's a college professor, I've had this dream hundreds of times and it only gets more complex and deeper And you, nothing is, a, is, a, is, is screwed up in this dream I breathe and everything all the details are there and and everything is intact there's no nothing lacking that's a real world and I know because I've had I've been there and so many times in different ways during Christmas time during the holidays you know um, later we have kids and there's all these things going on and and it's 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 a substantial reality, and you don't know it's a dream until you wake up and you know i've, I've talked about this before in other episodes and it kind of freaks people out a little bit other people in no big deal they thought about it before too and had these same experiences other people it kind of really freaks them out so that place i visited many many times and i have other places uh just as substantial uh you know another thing I think I've expl- I, I talked about this in some episodes I don't know what I look like that, that college professor I've never looked at myself in, in the mirror I know I've been I mean I, I always remember I'm driving my car to the university at 6, six o'clock and, and there's the, it's, it's an, actually an old 1974 Chrysler it's not old it's new and I think this is in the 1970s or something like that and, and uh, um, that's why I had an analog phone um the the car mirrors there i mean i you know when you think about it you can't look at your face unless you look in the mirror you just you can see the end of your nose and your hand but you can't see your own face if there wasn't a mirror some other way you wouldn't know what you look like you see other people's reactions. so the the rear view mirror is up there and i can see my kind of my shadow as i'm driving along you know and i got my headlights on because it's still you know it's early morning and the sun hasn't come up yet uh and I've never I've always thought well if I could get back in that dream I want to look in the mirror and see what I look like <laughs> I don't know um right and this and that's where this this broadcast is going because you know I, I constantly come back to this theme of dreams and and I know about the screwy dreams and the surreal dreams and the sex dreams and and and, and the other kinds of dreams that you know it seems like everybody has those kind. But these dreams I'm talking about are substantially deep REM narrative dreams and I've had them for many years and I've actually have drawn up maps of these dreams because they're so substantial and, and some of them have people in them that I know but there's variances they like their nose is different or they talk different or they're shorter than they are in, in, in real life in parentheses, or or or, or, or um, uh, instead of playing liking baseball they uh, they like um they like to hang out at the donut shop and eat donuts i don't know there's some there's some little thing that's different and that, and then the substantial reality in the dream is totally um changed and so and that's and i like to i like to say i have conjectures that are that kind of dream those kind of dreams are the quantum machines And, you know, when you look at the fractal world and Mandelbrot's, and if you don't know what Mandelbrot's are, look it up. Mandelbrot is an actual person that came up with this amazing design, I think through early computers, that looked at the fractal world. And fractals are this infinity of of shapes that keep repeating themselves over and over. And so, um, fractals are interesting because if you get artificial digital reality, they don't have the same fractals that organic reality has so you can take a digital painting and an organic painting and they have totally different signatures in uh, fractal wise so and, and you know the fractal just it's this mirror that keeps repeating itself this and the Mandelbrot is this incredible uh iconic design that fits into this whole equation of the fractal world and, and i don't you know look it up if you want to get kind of like. If you want to mess around with things, and I, I think people are getting to know more about model brats and they think about them. Um, m- my thing is, I suspect that these kind of dreams I'm talking about may be variances on your your on reality. That you there's a possibility, and this is kind of crazy, that you may be living thousands of different alternate realities um, <laughs> at the same time. That's a mind blower right so uh in addition to um to living this this you know this main life you have this one you think is it, there's thousands, if not billions of other um different ways that you're living it, just based on small or large things now now this is not a unique idea by me uh, and you look at uh religions like Hinduism and other things uh and uh, many tribal religions, and this infinity of uh, possibilities has been thought about for a long time. There's Middle Eastern thoughts and philosophies that go over this, so it's nothing new. And of course, you know, Buddhism uh, looks at this as, a, as a, this sort of uh, repetition. It's kind of a hell, and you have to stop it from happening. So, you know, it's called, you're, you're in Bardo and uh, I, I think to some extent that's is seen as is you keep manifesting all these lifetimes and each one of them ends up being a really rough go and or you have to learn something and eventually uh, I think even Hinduism looks at this to some degree I mean there are diff- major differences in Buddhism and Hindu- Hinduism but about grasping the whole uh, getting beyond ego and personal identity um, in my thinking? Uh, I think I, I can see where you might have to go through all those experiences, being all these different life forms, in order to understand what's going on there, to understand that. Uh, or, or are you just one big huge hole in this thing? Individuality is is kind of a, you know a negative experience. I, I don't. I, you know, and I spent a lot of time in Zen, uh, which I was going to be a monk at one time, uh, entertaining that idea. Uh, And uh, You know, everyone's entitled to their view and their experience, and I've had friends that's been so-called enlightened, uh, and uh, in in, 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 in different religions, um, with different views and philosophies. Some that are very different from Buddhism and Hinduism, and yet they receive this enlightenment. That's again a reality you know, it's a world view. You've established a reality and you've had this experience and it's very real to you and you know it's true. Uh, What I'm saying is in that manifestation. And when you look at all the life forms on this planet and you look at the ones out there, we don't understand stars and black holes and other universes. And now with our new telescope we have out there, we just, it's mind-boggling. And so... um, I, I, I can see an experience, uh, a, a lifetime of possibility. And as an artist, you know, you entertain this. Uh, it's something you have to go through to understand. I mean, it's really hard to understand a person unless you've been through their experience. If you haven't been to a war, then don't even start talking to me. If you haven't had that experience, then don't try to criticize mine. You know, it's a personal and it's a collective experience that you got to have to understand it. Same way as an ayahuasca experience or a vision or or remembering these powerful dreams that seem to be substantial realities. You can mock that if you haven't had that experience. If you've never been in love, I actually have a, I have a friend, he's never fallen in love with someone. And he, he's so critical of romance, of loving someone. We get in these huge arguments, We do not anymore, but over, you know, love is fake. There's no such thing as being in love with someone. So I can talk to him till I'm blue in the face and he's not gonna understand the experience of romantic love and and there's no way and if you haven't if you haven't been in that person's shoes how can you understand them and for my for me if there's a deity of any sort then wouldn't they have to understand you think uh, all these different experiences and life forms are, are, are and and what it's like and what what you know I, I would think if there's any kind of empathy in that kind of deity um you know and it's a speculation then wouldn't they have to understand all these things and how do they do that how do you reach that? Or is that even possible? Or is that what the, what the entire whole of the universe is? Is It's just this collective, huge mind and body, and each of us are these little minute cells inside there having all our own experiences. You know, it's like one cell in the body saying, Hey, I'm everything. Hey, it's me, you know. And then, you know, there's this big cut and this gash, and you, like, flow out of the cut onto the ground, and uh, suddenly you're not in the warm safe body and we're in this big open environment and you die and you realize oh oh uh, I was connected to this body of larger self with all these other cells in there Uh, do you have to live all of them out is that what a god is is if there's a deity is this a person that's able to live all this out or do they live it all out through us and our experiences I, I don't know so it's a big gray area there all I'm saying is, the possibility is there that it does go on, that it's going on, and in, in a modern sense, we don't have the ability to comprehend that, or, or, or to even take something like that in. And I've had this this experience on uh, uh, in in ceremonies with ayahuasca, uh, and in, and in my own dreams, this uh, this infinity of possibilities. You know, I talked about briefly one of my uh, intense uh yopo ayahuasca experiences because i combine these two plants three plants so um and it it gets a a different intensity and uh, where i stood in front of these orifices that opened and closed and each one had a different uh reality each one had a different place i could travel and go to and very solid i mean this is like more this is you know you turn the television station you get a different story like that but much more intense and very real so you're not watching it on tv you're experiencing it so um yeah i just don't know if we can take that in it's easy to sit in front of a television screen and read a book but to actually experience that uh you know in in a powerful dream vision or with these uh, hallucinogenic uh you know plant medicines uh it's it's something else, and it's the possibilities there. And you think we have thousands and thousands of dreams, and I record what a large amount of dreams, and that's that's what I can remember. And often I, I stop putting down these substantial realities. I don't know why. I I, I drew maps of them, and I have uh, levels of them. But uh, if 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 I can remember these things, and if I'm in there, and I know other people have this same experience. And then I've I've also talked about that's one of the possibilities of reincarnation. You're living these different sorts of lifetimes at different time periods and things all at the same time. Really bizarre, hard to understand if you're very linear, if you're very rational-minded, very Newtonian, where everything is moving forward and two plus two is four. Kind of hard to pull that one in. Not so hard as mathematics and quantum. You can kind of work out the possibility. And I think that's one of eight possibilities in the quantum world. Uh, and a lot of quantum physicists don't like, to th- they don't really care for the, multi- the, the multiverse world, uh, all these alternate realities. They you know they take place because when you observe photons and, you know, photons can be interlinked in, in crazy ways and they can be tens of thousand of miles apart and still be connected to each other is it photons anyway i don't want to get up because i don't have any reference material here and i didn't prepare myself for this and so i could be i could make somebody upset but i said something wrong about quantum anyway I, I i feel like it's a possibility that the that the dream that the dreams we have are actually a connection to the quantum world and these variances in realities and and these Offshoots of possibilities, you know, and we talked about this. Just little tiny things, if they're if they're messed up in this reality, can change everything. Have you seen the movie Run Lola Run? That's interesting because that the, you know the director uh, Tom is it Tweaker? It's a German director. I probably said his name wrong. He lo- he used to love to make these movies. I don't know if he does anymore. That are all about this. Uh, if you arrive at 405 and you'll meet this woman and she's getting off the train and you just happen to come into the train station and you both by coincidence at 405 met. And then you know you have this whole other life. You 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 fall in love with each other and you have kids and they have kids and this whole whole branch of reality is based on this four oh five occurrence. And so what he does is he gives you alternate realities? What would have happened if you know if you would have arrived at 4:10 or 4:15, or maybe not even arrived at that that day at all, if, or even slight seconds can you know in the, between a, a horrible accident and the one not happening? And so, Run Lola Run kind of looks at that. That it's a good movie that that premise, and so. yeah, our world's based on these little tiny coincidences that make your life, even uh, even uh, procreation, you know, when when you're made and, you know, from your, you know, your father and mother's DNA and from them sleeping together and there's this very special act that brings you into, you know, makes you into a conscious being this, this, this nine month old seed that grows inside your mother's you know, belly in, in, in this little aquatic world that you live in and you come into being it's just fascinating it's just it's, it's miraculous whether you believe in divinity or not, it's a miraculous event it's based on very very special coincidences, life itself on this planet, we have nine other planets that didn't, doesn't seem to have happened there it only happened here on this one, as far as we know. And, it, and it's all these very special things that have to line up to make it so. So, that's my thing, is there's all these different things could happen that could change the whole outcome of reality. You know, that's the whole problem with time travel, I guess. If you go back in time, not forward. If you go back in time and you change something, it could really mess up the whole the whole outcome, and, uh, and, you, and there's, a, there's tons of movies and books about this, and romance, and, and that brings up another thing, and I've talked about this before, um, that I, that I have a friend I'm very close to, and um, you know, things just didn't work out where we could have a, a romantic relationship, because we're both committed to our, our partners, and so we're not willing to um, engage, but it's, it's evident that we were very close. Yeah, uh, we're just we're kind of in love with each other, <laughs> but we we've set these <clears throat> parameters we don't violate because we're committed in our relationships to other people, and 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 the thing about this 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 friend of mine she uh, she I have a whole other reality I live in my dream world with her where we're married and we have kids and uh, we have all it's just this marvelous life. I even based a novel on this, and given this person, you know, a generic name because I don't want to, you know, it's it's private, so I'm not going to say what a real name is. But I've dreamed of this person over and over. We've had this whole complex reality, and 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 then there's variations on it. I have I think five or six different variations on this life that we have together, and so um, yeah, this is this is a very it's very interesting. I mean, if you don't have a good memory for dreams and some of my friends say they don't, you know, they don't dream and everybody dreams. It's just you don't remember your dreams. And uh, so um, it's hard to talk to somebody like that that doesn't have that experience, but on other people, you know, when you have this experience, they're like, yeah, yeah, this has happened to me in my dreams, and this has happened. And then there's these things, you know, there's this whole book that's fascinating. Uh, hold on here. I, I think it was published 1928, 1929. Uh, J.W. Dunn, he was an aeronautical engineer, quite a famous one, actually. Um, he, helped, he helped pioneer airplane flight guy's you know is a genius and, but he had an amazing mathematician a scientist a very extremely rational person you know very based in newtonian things one one one's four very linear person you know and he had to be you know he helped he helped create the aircraft that we know today but jw dunn had incredibly deep dreams and a lot of them were prophetic he would dream something he kept diaries of his dream of course he's you know that's something a person like that would do he kept very detailed dream diaries he had an amazing memory for dreams and then he's st- and you know he started realizing you know i'm having prophetic dreams i'm dreaming of i think uh, one of the things he talks about in this book because it's about a lot of things uh an experiment uh an experiment with time. Um, he talks about that this this huge disaster that happened, and he dreamed about it quite a while before it happened. He dreamed of looking at the headlines in the paper, uh, and he wrote this down. And then later, this worldwide catastrophic event happens. I don't remember how many people died. And then he went back in his journal. He's like, "Oh my God! I dreamed of this in detail. I dreamed of looking at the headlines So he has a lot of these dreams and it disturbs him because it's not rational. It doesn't fit into his linear world. And so he tries to approach prophetic dreams and he has a number of them. And and in this whole world of deep dreams, he tries to approach it in a very rational sense. And this is about the same time period that Einstein's coming up with a theory of relativity, special relativity and uh, this whole idea of the quantum world and this, you know, this exact world of Newtonian and then this inexact world of the smaller atoms and protons and neutrons that doesn't fit into the clockwork of the Newtonian world. They come crashing up against each other. And so relativity is just coming out. And so what happens uh, is J.W. Dunn starts to uh, look into the details of this other the other of what later will become the quantum world and it's it's quite amazing. it's a very deep <laughs> uh, it turns out later on in his life that he had a lot more than just dreams uh, this this aeronautical famous aeronautical uh, designer and scientist has uh, experiences with the other world uh, with spirits, with all he, he has all kinds of amazing things that happen to him that aren't, that, you know, they're esoteric, they're, they're in the other realm, you can't measure them with the uh, the instruments we have in the physical world, In the, you know, this is the material versus the non-material, we talked about this, the whole problem with consciousness, and, uh, emotional content, science has a hard time with measuring things on a personal level, like emotional content, uh, Feelings, um, you know, we're we're very emotional creatures. Human beings are, most animals are, and so that's that's the kind of gray area, and you know, it's something that psychology has tried to work with, which coincidentally brings up Carl Jung, and that's what happened to him. You have this amazing physician that I think in his early 20s has already seen is becoming world famous. He's an amazing student. He's going to be a medical doctor and um he has i guess uh, just before world war one he has a psych he has a he has a mental he has a he has a huge experience with dreams and visions and it it comes in contrast with his very rational well-planned life of being a doctor and it comes in such a way that um He has a complete, well, you know, what we call a nervous breakdown. And he, because he can't deal with this inner world of dreams and intense visions. And he wants to know what's going on. Why are these things happening to me? And he has, yeah, he has prophetic dreams like, uh, like uh, uh, J.W. Dunn has and uh, he and and then of course from this is a whole deep psychology he he mates Freud and he breaks away from Freud and this whole thing of, of depth psychology of the unconscious of this inner world that exists inside of us that you know mystics have talked about that religious people have talked about that this inner world is this is as real as this outside material world and yeah he's this kind of guy you know some people like him some people don't so, and uh anyway yeah you know I had a uh, one of my majors is anthropology archaeology southwestern archaeology but overall emphasis in the school of anthropology which is the study of, of the cultures of man and uh, it's a very diverse field but I my specialization, I started out in Egyptology and then I went into um, southwestern indigenous groups uh, and uh, in archaeology, uh, which never really worked out for me. I kind of fell out of the field later on and, uh, there's, and I've talked about that before, um, but I had a really f- I, one of my professors uh, was a, she was an anthropologist quite famous I'm not going to mention her name. Um, but uh, she's world, she's a world famous person. She'd done all this research in New Guinea, I believe, and her whole specialization was in New Guinea cultures and New Guinea people. And I guess you know we we got on this topic of dreams and stuff. <laughs> you know, this very rational. She's an extremely rational person, uh, and I, I don't. I think she may have been. I don't. I, I have to be careful here. It's, I guess agnostic could be better, and uh, we got on this whole topic about um, uh, witchcraft, because when when she worked with these tribes in New Guinea, you know, which were for a long time isolated from the entire world, New Guinea's one of these places that has this intense, very ancient tribal system there, and it was very exclusionary to the outside world for a very long time. I mean, these guys were <laughs> practiced cannibalism. You know, they ate people up, and I think. Up into the early mid 60s was, you know, they they were still eating people, and and if you weren't welcome, you might become some. And anyway, witchcraft, you know, and, you know that's kind of exotic. I, I, this isn't a place to talk about cannibalism because, um, <laughs> but anyway, she ran into the to, to witchcraft a lot. And she said that she had a a master's student a student getting his master's, and they just never got along and uh, and she she didn't I, I guess the thing was is he had sort of had a crush on her. she was married and she wasn 't interested she 's actually a very beautiful woman in addition to being highly intelligent and famous and uh, and she 's telling me this guy uh, wanted to sleep with her and she's like you know no um this is a professional environment you know if you want to get you know if you want to finish your work and your masters and i'm one of the people on the board then you need to like get in line because i'm not interested in sleeping with you i love my husband and i mean this is a professional environment so we're not doing that and so he built up this very uh this resentment for her and she said uh one of the occasions later on, just before he graduated, um, he brought in this bag uh, and, you know, because you have to have these meetings when you're getting your master's degree and, you, and you're consulted and they look at your research and they and advise you on what you need to do and what the weaknesses and strengths are. And so this is one of those sessions. And he came in and he came in with a bag. And she said she immediately recognized the bag as one that's used in witchcraft in New Guinea. And um he set the bag down on her desk and she held her hand out and she said, I don't want you to open that bag up. She said, You need to put that bag back in your backpack and you're either gonna leave here with that or you're gonna deposit that somewhere else because I don't want it in here. And she said, I know you have something inside there, right? And he's like, Yeah. She said, I I, I have a feeling I know what it is, and I don't want you to open the bag up. And she said, you are that's something you're not going to do. Anyway, she didn't explain what happened. I think he did leave. Um, but she explained this whole thing of how, in the rational Newtonian world, you know, witchcraft doesn't make sense. She said, but I'm, I'm here to tell you, Dave, that when you've been with these tribes, and you've lived with them, and she'd been with one for over two years, she spoke their language, and she she was a part of their ceremonies, and she was studying their clan systems, and she essentially became part of, the clan, uh, part of the tribe. And she said, you know, these things happen in these ceremonies that aren't rational. And she said, as, as, you know, as a scientist, as, a, as a, an anthropologist, she said, we call that the esoteric. That's the gray area. She said that's something you can't measure in a material way. And she said, the thing about it is that's a reality in in itself that you can't disprove or prove, you know, material-wise. But she said the things that happened to her were so astonishing and so profound that she absolutely could not write about them. And she said they're just she said things exist that aren't supposed to be there. That that rationally as a as a educated person as a scientist you can't you don't accept you don't talk about them you don't write about them she said nevertheless these amazing experiences happened to her and uh, we didn't she didn't really ever talk about what what they were about i think it was kind of cool because we just had this moment where i think we sort of understood each other i I think it was it was cool because we talked about dreams a little bit and then you know we talked about school and and this is, and I think that's kind of what a branch... I was like, here's the things you've got to do, Dave. Here's the test you've got to take, and this is the things you've got to... She says, I, I need to have these papers written a certain way by you. And she said, I really can't accept, you know, uh, things on this other level. She says, I know where you're going, and you're welcome to talk to me personally anytime you want, and we can talk about this. But she says, in the classroom environment, she said, I'm not, gonna, you know, I'm not going to expand... Into that realm, the esoteric, the gray area, the spiritual, the non-material, the alternate reality. She said, um, "You know, if you want to come over and and smoke pot with Ima, which I didn't want to do," she said, "or you just want to sit, we'll we'll talk about this stuff." And um, and our husband was a famous doctor. I don't remember. Was he a medical doctor? Or or I I don't remember. Anyway, he taught at the university. of Utah and I think he was something to do with medicine but he's a very uh, intellectual person but he had had these experiences with her because he had went to New Guinea and and I think that's where they actually met. I think he was there for medical reasons and then she was there for anthropological reasons and they met and fell in love and then they had these experiences. And you know I've talked about this before I think in my last episode where um, we really can't talk about the experience that happens with Yahe or ayahuasca. These are you know, it's the same two plants, but I think the Yahe is where you use the bark more when you when you when you boil all these plants together and make the soup <laughs> that you drink. So it's I uh, Yahe is made a little different than, than ayahuasca, but it's the same thing. So this intense hallucinogenic experience, and I've talked about it before, I don't like that term because then we're like, oh, you know, it's it's your imagination. It's all in your mind. And, you know, and I've said this on a lot of different broadcasts. What isn't in your mind? Everything in our world that's been made was once in somebody's mind. And then they made, you know, especially inventors make these film and radio and all these things where once I, in television, you know, was, a, was an idea in somebody's mind they made into a physical reality. And so, you know, what isn't in your mind? And so, um, that's, you know, we really can't talk about this experience, you know, the intensity of the uh, ayahuasca experience, uh, the Yopo experience, by viral, viral unless you've had it. Um, and, and, and until then, you're going to think it's wacky. Or until you have a vision or a dream, like in some of the dreams I talk about, it's hard to relate to you that experience if you if there's no commonality between us. You know, you don't know how hard, how, how much it hurts to get hit, hit in the head with a rock or a hammer until somebody really does it. And then you're like, God, that really hurts. It's like, see, I told you. You know, you have to share an experience, I think. in in something like this um and especially when you're in the tribal format and you and you have family and people that you love and you and you're actually you don't just go visit but you live there you spend time there with with these people and they're they're important to you and you and and you become a part of the culture and so you have these fantastic amazing experiences And I think a lot of us get locked in our worldview, we get locked in religion, we get locked in our field of science, and we don't expand out. We kind of like, or or, or maybe we do, but but, you know, you have your your worldview and that's how you see reality. And I think reality influences science to some degree, at least the scientists. You know, science is not good or bad. Um, but the person using it is, is either helpful or not helpful. And if you're influenced by money and ego and power, um, you can use the science to do things that aren't so good. And on the other hand, you can use the science to do things that are really good. Or you can use it to make really cheap, addicting food <laughs> that will make you millions of dollars and make people really sick or into diabetics. You know, it's... it's Yeah. Uh, And and I think it's interesting now because we're getting to the point where these really odd parts of science, like the theory of chaos and and, and the quantum dynamic, are starting to come together. And we're starting to really look at this other world that Einstein first introduced to us. And for God's sakes, tribes have been (laughs) in that realm for thousands and thousands of years. A lot of my friends venture into these other realms, these alternate realities, um, don't want to be interviewed. They don't want to talk. They don't want to talk publicly about it. It's very private. Uh, with tribes, uh, tribal friends, it's very sacred. You just don't share it. Um, and so it's hard for me to share these experiences, you know, verbally on the air. Um, and, and, and then doing it live doesn't allow me the um, luxury of going back and editing what I've talked about. Um, it's very difficult to talk about these experiences and try to verbalize them because I think it's it's mostly a non-verbal experience especially something as profound as the ayahuasca experience. Um, um, it just it's, it's just so non-verbal. I know people talk about it on YouTube and have written books about it. Uh, Wade Davis is one of the people that beautifully, has beautifully described some of his experiences in the with the ayahuasca experience and, and some that weren't so good. Uh, there's there's uh, celebrities like Sting that, if you can find the right interviews, it just gives a really beautiful overview of the ayahuasca experience. But there's a lot of other crap out there and sensational stuff and just, I, you know, it's it's really hard I think to, to verbalize this experience uh, unless you've had it and that's the whole thing is and you don't have to and, I, and I've said this often is maybe it's an experience that's not for you now I have allergies to uh, the ayahuasca uh, medicine to the ayahuasca I, I have to be really careful uh, and so I take very small doses and I've, had, I've learned from personal experience you know that uh, there's there's certain things I have to do now and I'm going to tell you right now it may not be for you it may be something that could could damage you so I think you have to know it's something you want to do and then uh, do your research and be careful you know who you have this experience with and make sure it's exp- you know it's something that you that you know all about for me, I spent an entire year researching things out. No longer than that, for five years, very hesitant, had all kinds of odd experiences where people warned me not to do it, and uh, some said you should do it. And and um, I took my time, and I, and, I, and I read a lot of books, and I talked to people that had the experience. Uh, a friend in particular that I'm very close to, she sat down with me. and was very kind and gentle and explained to me what, what I needed to do. And, and I think she was a person that made a, the breakthrough for me that allowed me to feel comfortable with it because I had to feel like there was a spiritual connection there because I spent a lot of time with indigenous groups and I know that, and you know, I've talked about this, when you go into these realms, a lot of very crazy and, and not-so-good things can happen. And that you need to know what you're doing, and that's why I have a big problem with these naive people that just jump into things, especially the uh, something with ayahuasca that's thousands of years old. There's very pronounced ways to go about deal, you know, using this uh, incredible, these incredible plants in ayahuasca, um, and and you need to. One feel comfortable. You need to have a, a good baseline knowledge and know that there's charlatans out there and there's people waiting to take advantage of you. And there are people that will hurt you intentionally. When you're on these these in these states of mind, these special experiences you have, there are people that will that intentionally will try to hurt you, maybe even try to kill you. So it's important that that you you know what you're doing and that you feel like this is something that you need to do. And you can have these experiences through prayer and through fasting and through other means where you don't need to use hallucinogenic plants. So I I just I really have a hard time when people say, just go out there and do it and then you'll see what it's like. Uh, I don't know if that's, that, that's a good thing. I think you, you got to feel like you got to do your research. And you got to feel like this is something you're supposed to do. And even I, I think it's kind of cool. When I was in Peru, you you, they actually have a medical doctor that comes with a. with a shaman. the shaman is a is a word that white anthropologists use a lot it's connected to more to russia that's what they use that. it's a it's a tribal word from one of the some of the siberian tribes i think medicine people is better most people feel more comfortable with medicine people uh when you use that 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 terminology so in peru you have a medical doctor and uh you go to him and he makes sure you you're health wise you're ready for this ayahuasca experience uh, you have a checkup uh, you have a psychological profile they go through and then you have the medicine person come and they i don't know if they come together or you see the doctor first and he gives the you know said hey you're okay you can do this there may even be a psychologist involved and then the medicine person comes in, and then you have this this full fledged uh, ceremony and ayahuasca event take place. And that's part. And I think it's even covered with insurance. So it's it's you know there's a lot of a lot of wisdom in doing something like that instead of just jumping into it. Some of, some people just jump into it and it works out for them. That's cool. Others have an awful experience. So anyway you don't need to do these things I'm just the reason I bring them up is because I like when I'm talking about alternate realities esoteric situations that aren't necessarily um material and you can't gauge them with instruments you know you can't uh, and we know there's a lot of things out there in the universe you can't gauge with instruments we don't we don't have any way to gauge them we haven't created the means to do it So I like to bring these things up—dreams and things, uh, love, emotional things—that sometimes science doesn't know what to do with. At least science right now. Uh, And so, yeah, there's there's a lot. You know, there's a lot of things that um, we we don't know yet. And there's a lot of incredible things out there in the world. Uh, I'm just I'm getting tired now. It's getting late. So, all right, we talked about a lot of stuff, and uh, hopefully we'll have a more concrete episode. <laughs> and I'm going to go to sleep, and I'm going to have a dream. Maybe I'll go back to that place with April on my uh, 1974 Chrysler 4-door and being a, a, a professor at a university. <laughs> maybe this is a dream, you know? Maybe maybe when I go to go to sleep, I actually wake up, and that is... That is the main reality. Nah, I don't know. Anyway, it's fun to think about stuff like that. Kind of scary, too. Um, I mean, how many realities are there? And do we have, and if there are thousands of different realities and versions of them, do we really have the mind to comprehend that? I'd say probably not. (laughs) Okay, have a nice night, uh, and thanks for joining me, and I'm going to go to bed and have some dreams. Good night. in between stations radio.